0: Hello, and welcome to Doctales, the podcast where I get to interview my dad about his lifelong adventures as a doctor in Israel and all around the world. I'm Yoni Alkin. And I'm Dr. Michael Alkin. And he's here to tell you, in his own voice, his Doctales. Today we're going to jump in time from my father's childhood to his early 20s and his time in medical school in Jerusalem. He started in 1959 when he was just 18, which is uncommon in Israel, and he took advantage of his free time to go on more adventures. Let's get started. I'm so excited for today because we're going to talk about something that I know very little about. And I want to ask you to tell me about your time as a student in Jerusalem. Where did you live? What did you study? What years were those? How was Jerusalem at the time? Because we've been talking about Jerusalem quite a bit, and I know it's very close to your heart. For those of you who don't know me, it is not very close to my heart. I'm a Tel Aviv person myself. So I would love to hear a little bit about your experience in Jerusalem.
1: Okay, the story has to start with the deferral of my military service uh, for health reasons. Uh, which turned out to be ridiculous reasons but uh, I was denied recruitment which for for any anybody with unwanted compulsory service would be a blessing but for me it was the worst curse ever because everybody else was in the military and I was left behind the doctor who disqualified me said, you idiot, go to university, study something.
0: Do you mind sharing why they disqualified
1: you? Oh, there were three different reasons. One was I was an asthmatic child, which disappeared in adolescence. The second was that I had only one and a half kidneys after an injury in one of the kibbutzim uh, it was like a road accident in an orchard. And uh, the third was uh, the stupid thing that I didn't weigh enough. The proportion between my height and my weight was uh, actually disqualified me. Huh. This is actually funny because uh, I gained weight with the years, but I was really very, very skinny and tall, so... Uh, There were no two ways about it. Anyway, that brought me to the idea that I will study medicine. I registered for the one and only school in Israel, which was in Jerusalem. And I waited for their response, and it didn't come and didn't come and didn't come.
0: Now, what year is this?
1: This is 1959. Okay. I was the ripe age of 18 and about to start medical school. When I was, uh, I received a letter that said that uh, I'm not admitted, but I am the second in the list of reserve.
0: The wait list.
1: I was on the waiting list. And then I heard nothing and heard nothing until one day in the mail, there was an envelope from the university saying, if you will not pay your tuition within 48 hours, you will lose yours." seat in the medical school. Oh, my God. And I drove to Jerusalem with a check signed by our, our father, Walter, and paid for the first six months of my studies and was looking for a place to to live.
0: Right. Now, at the time, you were living in Rehovot, is that correct?
1: Yes. Yes, okay. we were living in Rehovot. And the general deal was that uh, Walter, who was an early riser, on Sunday morning, used to take me to the train station in Ramla, which was about what, 10 kilometers away from home, where I caught the train to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And I did the same thing the other way uh, on Thursday when uh, studies were done in the evening and spent Friday and Saturday at, at our parents' home and before.
0: For those who don't know Israel The weekend is Friday and Saturday and not Saturday and Sunday there.
1: Right, right. Anyway, the week was packed with activities. The first thing I did was to look through the book for the student of the university. And oh my God, there were such interesting courses in poetry of the Middle Ages, in prehistorical archaeology, in the history of wartime in, in, in Israel, in the early days of the uh, As- Assyrian kingdom or things like that. And I thought, how can I pack all this in if I need to be a first-year medical student? <laughs> and I realized very quickly that I had better stick to the curriculum. I had a very easy time because a lot of the first year studies was a repetition of what I did in 12th grade just half a year ago. And I matriculated and I went for the aptitude test in at the university, which was actually a chemistry and physics test in which I excelled. So courses like zoology, biology, uh, chemistry, physics, were were child play, were easy. And uh, I spent a lot of time across the street from uh, where the studies were, sitting in the library and uh, reading all kinds of stuff, like an 18-year-old who discovers the university Mm. and finds uh, the textbook of anatomy with all the illustrations. And I started looking at that and was fascinated. And then I looked at uh, old-time National Geographic uh, volumes, which were there one after the other. And I I spent a lot of time in the library. And some, some of the lectures I attended, I attended all the laboratories because I loved it. And some I managed to pass the first year. Socially, I was in dire straits because everybody was at least two or three years older than I was, including all the girls. Right. Because they were after the military service. Not only were they older, but they came and told heroic stories about their military service, and I wasn't part of that at all. And My response was to organize, for me and some friends, hikes in the Judean desert on weekends, Instead of taking the train to Ramla and going home to my parents, with two, three, or four friends, we took a bus to the Dead Sea and hiked one after the other the canyons that run down from an altitude of 700 meters to a depth of 400 minus, which gives you a kilometer of Canyon walls, which are fantastic, fantastic, with uh, water sources in many of them. There are, uh, ibex gazelles. There are, uh, you know, all kinds of wildlife, which was interesting. I learned the names of all the plants in the desert, and, uh, I was, uh, I was very happy with these weekend tours and made friends. There were two women, two girls, uh, one of them is a friend up to this day. The other ended tragically. Both medical students, Ilana and Neely Ilana is still a friend. Uh, I will tell about Neely later. And uh, there were three men. Two of them were students of uh, agronomy, and one of them was a student of medicine. The first big trip that we took was during the uh, Hanukkah or Christmas holiday, and we decided to ascend through one of the canyons and descend through the next right on to a youth hostel on the, down below Metzada, below the, the stronghold of the, of the Jews against the Romans in the first century AD. And it was a great trip. Uh, we were all dehydrated, and uh, the hostel was run by a couple. And the couple were the nicest people you can imagine. And they hosted us and they fed us and they they gave us iced water when we arrived and uh, they planned the rest of the trip for us. And the woman said, this is my husband's backyard. Listen to what he says. He knows all the trails and all the passes from one valley to the next. And so it was, and the trip was a wonderful success. And we very soon after came back to the same hostel. They refused to take any money. And uh, during the second visit, it became clear that they wanted to come to Jerusalem and study. And we were the anchor. We were students in Jerusalem. We could tell them how the ropes in the university work, uh, where to find a place to live. And lo and behold, when I started second year, Yochi and Michal, Yochi and Michal her, his wife, came to Jerusalem and started studying psychology. And
0: I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm making a face as you say their names because, oh, I recognize these names.
1: <laughs> these are friends for life. Right. Michal passed away, but Yochi is still a dear, dear friend of mine. Uh, they, they really went places academically back to Jerusalem. They rented a small apartment, and when we were done with studies, we used to go and walk in Jerusalem and look for places high up on roofs of rooftops of buildings to look. Maybe we could see a little bit into the old city of Jerusalem across the border with the state of Jordan, which was a very lively border every now and then there was shooting there were snipers on the wall on the uh, on the jordanian side there were soldiers on two of the big churches on our side and there was no man's land which uh, was all mines and uh, barbed wire and we were very eager to see the other side to see the dead sea from one of the only places you could in the south of Jerusalem where you could see the blue Dead Sea and the red Edom Mountains on the other side, which, uh, which was, and the sunset over that. Okay. Right. I mean, who can beat that? <laughs> and then, uh, sit, sit, uh, somewhere under a tree and, uh, sing with, uh, recorder and guitar. And, and it was, it was a very lively group. And then end up knocking on the door of Yochi and Michal about midnight. Michal would uh, get out of bed and uh, fry eggs and make salad. And uh, we would sit there and uh, till two o'clock in the morning chat and uh, exchange uh, experiences. It was wonderful. It was a wonderful social life where they accepted me in spite of my young age and the fact that I was so inexperienced. Yochai and Michal were five years older than us, so they were the sages. They were like our parents.
0: I want to ask you if you had any significant memories from specifically how Jerusalem was during those years about the separation of
1: Jerusalem. Okay, number one... Jerusalem was 100% Jewish. There was not a single Arab living in Jerusalem. The next Arabs were in a village that chose sides in 1948, Abu Ghosh, which was on the road to Jerusalem. Jerusalem had one single road that was the only access except for the train, which was very slow. And this road was the road that was... uh, paved during the war right after that broke the siege. The Burma. And there was the Burma Road, yes. And there was almost no alternative. There was another very winding mountainous road, which was not frequented. It was a very nice town of all kinds of Jewish traditions, of different synagogues, of different... Uh, different songs on Friday night of uh, a lot of uh, academic people who uh, in this small community played an important role. Uh, There were uh, chamber music concerts, there were student clubs where you could listen to classical music on records. Uh, Hillel House was one example and there were others. Uh, It was really a place of culture, a place of uh, academia. Um, Of course, there were the extreme religious who denied any contact with the uh, heathen state of the secular Jews. Of course, there were the groups of the new immigrants in Katamon, in the area, who felt they were the underdogs the uh, new immigrants at the time from North Africa. But generally speaking, the the, the middle class was very laid back, very relaxed, very pleasant. And uh, I used to move uh, quarters every year because I didn't want to pay rent during the summer vacation when I was abroad. Um, so I knew... Six different fam, more, seven different families at whose house I lived, renting one room, not sharing the kitchen. So I I really, I got close to this Jerusalem. Now, I think I said that already, but I will say it again. In the thir- early 30s, the governor of Jerusalem, a romantic by the name of Sir Ronald Storrs, Uh, decided that there would be a rule in the city that all the houses would be built from local stone. And during sunrise and sunset, when the orange rays of sun hit these stone buildings, you have a feeling of of a holy city, of of a city with an atmosphere that is unbeatable and very different. And I'll be frank with you. This is the Jerusalem that I miss so much up to this day, because it is almost non-existent. Yes, the market of Machane Yehuda is there, but it has become a haven for young people to drink at night, rather than a market only. Right. Uh, yes there are the religious uh, quarters which were built about a hundred years ago and uh, the houses lean towards each other and they're very beautiful, but me as a as a secular Jew is not I'm not wanted there. So uh, and then there is East Jerusalem which has remained Arab in spite of the unification of the city, which to me is an eyesore in Jerusalem the inability to make it into one city even though there is no no man's land there are no mines there is no barbed wire it still is two cities which are totally separated and it's it's a it's a tragic future that uh, was totally unexpected when we fell in love with this half of jerusalem so these days were the first year And the shock came in the second year, where uh, all of a sudden, we unfortunately spent many, many hours in the dissection laboratory of anatomy. Uh, Each four of us had a cadaver, and we were faced with uh, exposing everything anatomically in the cadaver which i found very difficult and somewhere in my mind i felt that it was not necessary mm. that i could learn the anatomy from the illustrations that i already looked at in the first year and i i even i even worded it i said how will i be a better doctor if i cut this poor old woman into pieces and uh, i wanted to leave the studies i wanted to quit I said, this is not for me, this is not to the point, this is not what I came for. It was actually yogi who helped a lot and said, uh, this is a phase, it will go away, try to pass with the minimal grade necessary, and you'll do okay. And lo and behold, I did. One more thing that happened during the studies was that after second year, after the big exam in anatomy, I took one of the guys with whom I hiked, Shimon Spiel from the agronomy school, and we went abroad on board a Turkish ship where we had sleeping bags on deck and uh, went to South Turkey, left the ship and uh, hitchhiked and took buses to travel in Turkey. And we reached Istanbul and had adventures in Istanbul. And then we went went from there to Greece. And uh, Shimon met a young South African girl. I didn't meet anybody. And uh, he ended up bringing her to Israel, marrying her. And they're still married today. They live in London. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And the friendship held on. It's it's also amazing. We uh, we saw him last about five years ago, which was great fun. So this taste of abroad, where I saw the Byzantine mosaics of uh, the Hagia Sophia in in Istanbul, and I admired the old Greek churches on the island of Chios, uh, and many other. Beautiful places like uh, Cape Sunion, south of uh, Athens. It was it was like a dream come true. And lo and behold, every summer, I went abroad. On board ship, paying only for the permission to sleep on deck, bringing my own food for the trip. And then the next trip was to... Uh, South Italy, from Greece with a ferry to Brindisi, and from there hitchhiking all over Italy and hitchhiking back through former Yugoslavia, all the way back to Piraeus to catch the boat home. Wow. And the third trip was the most fabulous of them all because uh, I took a boat, this time with a cabin shared with other three other people, and the cabin The boat went to uh, Genova, to to, uh, Italy, uh, northern Italy. And from there, I hitchhiked all the way to North Norway to become an exchange student in uh, Harstad-Sykehus, which means the local hospital of Harstad, which is a small town in the Lofoten Islands north of the Arctic Circle. What can I tell you? This uh, was a trip with the midnight sun shining above my head, and uh, I spent the mornings in the hospital and the afternoons way into midnight hiking in the mountains around the town, which was fabulous. They had their private fjords in this town, <laughs> and I ended up I ended up catching a ride on a freighter that went. They, they bunkered. They took fuel in Harstad and then went to Grimsby on the river Hull in, in uh, England. And it was a freighter. And I spoke to the captain and he agreed to take me. And it was an amazing trip. It was a Dutch boat, very small. The sea was rough. And then I hitchhiked to London to Uncle, Hon, Uncle John Honza and uh, his daughter Bibi. So uh, it, it was a fabulous trip. These were the summers of happiness during my studies. Every now and then I received a very, very delayed uh, postcard or uh, air letter from uh, our father uh, screaming! What will happen with you? You have failed this or that test, and I used to answer, "There is a second chance, and I will be on time, and I will take the test. Don't worry." And I did take these tests, and I did pass, and I was okay, and I I, I didn't fail the studies. I was I never excelled in the first three years ever, you know. In Hebrew, the grade of sixty percent, which is the pass rate. Is called maspeak, which means enough. Right. And I took this literally. Right. Enough is enough.
0: Yeah. It's enough. It's a passing grade, literally.
1: It's a passing grade, literally. And 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 I said, this is what's required, this is what I do. And then came the first day of fourth year, which was the clerkship in internal medicine. And it took one day for me to realize number one, this is what I want. I was admitting a patient, I was talking to the patient, I examined him physically, I came up with a diagnosis, I suggested treatment. Wow, this is what it's all about. And then, within a week, I understood the importance of courses like biochemistry, microbiology, pathology, which I had only sixty. And I needed to go back to the textbooks and sit night after night and recap what I missed in the preclinical studies, along with reading internal medicine. So this was a clerkship of 12 weeks, which really turned me into a very enthusiastic student. Within that year, fourth year, I won a prize for the best student of the class in surgery of all of all professions, which uh, I was totally surprised by. But it, it it reflects the fact that all of a sudden I understood what the rationale of all this was, and I knew exactly where I'm going. I knew exactly what I'm about to do. I'm going to be a clinician. I'm going to take care of people. I'm going to be just like Walter, but different. And I ended up being just like Walter, not so different. So year after year, in the clinical studies, I was the happiest of all. I used to live in small rented rooms. I didn't care about the surrounding. Yes, I had the girlfriend here and there, never anything serious. And the truth is that I studied. I studied and studied and enjoyed every minute of it. And when the finals came, it was very clear that I will not stay in Jerusalem, but I will go south to Be'er Sheva, where there was a small community hospital where I could develop my skills, develop my abilities, and be part of a family. I have to tell you that there were two months of elective during the fifth year. One of them was in the emergency room of this small hospital in Beersheba, where for the first time I felt that I was part of a family. Instead of being the bottom of the totem pole at Hadassah Hebrew University University Medical Center with a thousand beds and... uh, Bed blood all over the place among the staff.
0: Right, because Adasa was already established. It was one of the larger um, universities and hospitals in the country at the time. But Soroka, down south in Beersheva, was barely, (laughs) I I actually don't know. How how large was it? Do you remember?
1: 250 beds and uh, one intern on night call for the whole internal medicine and the emergency room.
0: Just to compare it, how is it today?
1: Today in the emergency room, internal medicine, there are four people at night, and each ward has a, a doctor on duty. Some of them are interns, I grant you, but most of them are residents. Right. And it was, it was so stressful. I still, you know, you remember the structure of the hospital there. There's this big gangway that goes from where you enter the hospital and that's where the emergency room used to be down to the wards and on the left side there's a line of date palms and the left side if you walk down from the emergency room to the ward is east and i still when i look at these date palms today even i still remember looking at the darkness and saying will there be light Will this night call ever end? It was tough. It was a year that made me into what I am. But the fifth year elective really sold me totally on Beersheba and the hospital and the wonderful camaraderie and atmosphere of the place. The hidden agenda was that it was very close to the Judean desert and to the places I love to hike at. So so that was a bonus. (laughs) The second elective was even more formative. We had to take an elective with a general practitioner. Most of the people took it either in Jerusalem or near where their parents lived. And I used this opportunity to work for one month with Dr. Benjamin Benassa. Dr. Benjamin Benassa, Dutch Jew, who escaped the Nazis walking practically all through France to neutral Spain and catching a boat that went to Indonesia, which was a Dutch colony, learning Chinese and the local languages and practicing medicine there until 1950 when he decided to switch gear and come to Israel and become the doctor for the Bedouin in the desert in the south. Anyway, this month with Benasa, seeing how he improvises, I, I would just give one example. He knew that grandmas with a rusty pair of scissors would cut the uvula of the newborn, which is this little bell that hangs in the throat of the kid, to protect him against throat infection. Oh no. And some of the children were bleeding badly. Others had infections. It was terrible. It was a terrible thing.
0: I'm also thinking rusty, so tetanus.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, tetanus, yeah, but uh, tetanus was usually because of putting cow dung on the um, on cut umbilicus. Oh. Anyway, one of the ideas was that deliveries should be in the hospital, and what... Uh, really helped with that was that each delivery in, in Israel, the mother receives some money as a bonus. So that really attracted them. Number two, it was their only holiday ever, the days after delivery at the hospital, because they didn't have to collect firewood or cut grass for the animals or something like that.
0: Hmm.
1: Now, the example that I want to give is the penasa. Whenever he saw a baby, the smaller the better, He took a uh, swab, dipped it in gentian violet, which is a disinfectant with a purple color that can't be missed. He smeared it all over the palate of the kid and said, this is the modern way to prevent this infection or trouble. Don't cut. And he did away with this habit. Amazing. Explaining and and showing and, and improvising. Right, he was—he was—he was a fantastic, fantastic doctor, really. And uh, his hobby was hypnosis, and he hypnotized patients who came with an asthmatic attack, which disappeared under hypnosis. Right. To my amazement, anyway, this month made me understand what a doctor can do. He was persona grata in all the tribes sitting at the sheik's tent sipping tea coffee being very slow with discussions in arabic which i barely understood at the time taking his time socializing talking about friendships talking about the other tribes uh, he he was he knew it all and i learned from him everything he did was teaching even if he didn't speak to me very much. And number one, I decided I don't want to specialize. I want to remain as a general doctor. Number two, I fell in love with the Bedouin. And number three, I understood that all I learned in Jerusalem is not the real thing in real life. And there are other ways to... Skin a cat.
0: (laughs) I think that's really interesting to see how you learned what is the real medicine in several steps. First, learning the the books the anatomy and the chemistry and all that and saying ah that's not real medicine the real medicine is actually getting to uh to meet patients and actually working with them and then later on you're learning oh wait no that's well it is real medicine but that's not where the the real um medicine works it's with humans how to interact with them and how to understand them better and how to treat them more so it's basically you're you're Your education came in steps and that's fascinating to see.
1: Yeah. So this brings us to the end of sixth year. Finals, I did very well. And uh, my choice of an internship was Beersheba Hospital, Soroka Medical Center. And it was a year of very hard labor. It was a mixed internship. I did five months of internal medicine, three months of surgery, two months of pediatrics, one month of OBGYN. That was about it. Then I did emergency room medicine, emergency room surgery. It was a fantastic year. It made me into a doctor. While the deferred military service was uh, hanging like a Damocles sword over my head. Because I knew that by the time I finish my internship, that's it. I will have to start the real life in the army. And again, do something completely different from what I was taught to do in medical school or in my internship. Right.
0: Because being a, a military doctor is very different than a civilian one.
1: Very, very different. Very, very different. The end of the internship was actually three full months before my recruitment. And these months were summer months when the university was off, and Jochi and Michal, the good friends, and I went traveling. We crossed Turkey uh, by bus from end to end, from all over Anatolia, discovering fantastic places, of nature, of archaeology, of Muslim culture, of fantastic structures in the desert, in the highlands, seeing snow on the peaks of the Elbrus Mountains, and then hitting the Black Sea, which was an adventure. And that's where we parted. They went back, and I decided to go on and travel through the border to Iran, which at the time was ruled by the Shah, with very good relationships with Israel. And there was a couple of uh, actually Hungarian Jews who lived in Berlin during the time of uh, Grandpa Leopold. They lived as Jewish people since the Russian Revolution, actually, in Tehran. And I I, uh, he- I headed for Tehran and stayed with them for about a week. Went to the Caspian Sea through orchards of hazelnuts and uh, di- completely different climate and everything. And then made my way down to the Persian Gulf it- on buses this time, not hitchhiking, with uh, fantastic adventures in Isfahan and Shiraz in uh, Persepolis, which is one of the most amazing archaeological sites in the world. Ending up uh, in the Gulf and having the experience with the merchant ship, I organized this with these people in Tehran who had their social contacts, and they helped me to get a letter from the Israeli ambassador, or actually representative, because there was, uh, the embassy was half official, saying, please uh, aid this man on his way back to Israel. And I showed this at the office of the merchant company, which was a German company, and me speaking fluent German helped. And there was a clerk there who somehow was sympathetic and read the letter and said, yes, uh, the German ship will leave the port in about three days and you're welcome on board.
0: Amazing. I didn't even know that you were in Iran before the revolution in 78. That's amazing. 79?
1: Yeah. When was this? This was in 1966. Right. And this man who was Armenian took me in a little skiff to the ship and helped me to climb up through the rear end of the ship because up on the bridge was the Iraqi navigator who was about to navigate the ship out of the river shat al arab which on one side is Iran and on the other side is Iraq and I started taking pictures of the Iraqi side and I made friends with the cook everybody who spoke German which was great fun Vili, the cook, became a friend and uh, before you knew it, we were peeling potatoes for dinner. And um, this was a tramp ship. It took any load from anywhere to anywhere. They had some, part of the load came on, uh, on at the Persian Gulf in Choramshar. And it was dried uh, fruit and uh, pistachios for Israel. So we knew we were going to Israel. But on the way, we stopped in Asab at the time, Ethiopia. And I had a day of uh, snorkeling in the Red Sea and seeing what uh, village life in uh, Ethiopia is like. Uh, The town of Asab was almost not inhabited yet. The the port was brand new. And then we went to Eilat, where uh, the custom people were uh, shocked to see that I'm coming in. And all I bring is uh, beautiful seashells from uh, Assad, from uh, the Red Red Sea. <laughs> and I took a bus to Rehovot. That was the end of the tour. Amazing. It was an amazing trip. And I was ready to be recruited. And about that chapter we will talk next time.
0: Yeah. Wow. What a trip. That's amazing. Um, before we finish off, I'm wondering if there's anything else you'd like to share about your time in Jerusalem during medical school that's more a personal experience for you, something that relates to you.
1: Okay, okay. One of the, one of the issues was lunch. You could have lunch in the student's menza or cafeteria where there was uh, some kind of a meal. Uh, fried egg, uh, some potatoes, and uh, terrible pudding at the end uh, for very cheap. But once or maybe twice a week was uh, was too much. Then there were the little restaurants in town where you could get fried egg, some potatoes, and a terrible pudding as well. For not much more, but still it was a restaurant and there was a waiter and it it, uh, changed the atmosphere. Every now and then, my father Walter came to Jerusalem and then he wanted to take me out to a restaurant. His favorite restaurant was a restaurant run by Viennese Jews serving Viennese cuisine with white tablecloths and linen napkins and uh, good china and very good food and he used to take me there and once i said dad can we go to one of the places that i really like and he said sure and in the neighborhood of rechavia which was mainly inhabited by jews from germany and central europe there were two sisters I don't remember their names. They used to call their mitakstish, their, their lunch table, Akhlama, which uh, is the name of uh, Semi Precious Stone. And uh, they served a three-course meal. And they used to go around with the, with the pans and pots and ask if everybody wants seconds or if you're all satisfied, you know. And it was not very expensive, but it was home-cooking, German style Walter. Walter was completely blown away by it it was it was a very good experience for both of us and I loved the place and these two old ladies Walter said how can you in German of course said how can you serve a full meal for this price and the woman said to him we can doch die kinder nicht weglassen we cannot let the Children go away hungry. Ah, Which was so touching and everybody was a student of course. So it was it was a great place. It was a great place.
0: You got to take him back a little bit to, to Europe of, of your
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was the antithesis to Hesse where, where, where he where wanted was, to... where he wanted to go. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us on this adventure. This show was recorded and edited by me, Yoni Alkin, and it would not be made possible without the wonderful help of my brother, Shai Alkin. The music you're hearing right now and in the beginning is by the awesome Jefferson Berge, and you can find more about us at DocTales.org. I hope you join us again here at DocTales, and in the meanwhile, take care of yourself and take care of somebody else.